Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast today. And today we're talking about Fire Festival and the documentaries that's left in our wake. You can now listen to episodes on the BrotherPod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. You can also interact with us directly through the talkback feature, ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download to your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the podcast at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate us high and review us on iTunes. Now, let's talk about the debacle that was Fire Festival and the documentary that's just been released this week. Brother, brother, brother. I'm your host, Christian Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Wyndham Lewis. Uh, today we are talking about the uh, revitalized Latter-day Altamont um, of, uh, of 2018, um, turning into 2019. We are, of course, talking about the Fire Festival, which went horribly wrong last year. Um, and, uh, in fact, we are discussing specifically the pair of documentaries that have come out lately, um, both on Hulu and Netflix, but really dig into some of the, you know, the, the logistics of these festivals and, and help you answer some of the questions. Uh, what, like, should I go to Fire Festival? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, question, questions such as, what went wrong? So, Wyndham, let me, let me kick that question to you to lead off the, uh, the discussion here. What in the fuck went wrong? This, is, this is, of course, is uh, Ja Rule and... Um, uh, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. I, I, my, uh, my thought just now, and I hadn't really thought of this before is that uh, we're talking about the only music festival in history that produced uh, more documentaries than it did actual live songs <laughs> and um, having uh, it was a very more documentaries than it did festivals for that matter <laughs> yeah truly um, but it, it there is a, you know I I hate to say it you watch the trailer for the documentaries and well done you Chris Smith um, but you kind of get a bang out of watching this things fail in slow motion and then in fast motion. Um, it, it seemed absolutely an impossible uh, marker to, to hit uh, when, the, when the trailer for the festival itself came out and it proved impossible to hit. Um, the, you know, the, the slow motion uh, 74 car pileup that is uh, documented in, in Fire, the Netflix documentary, is impossible not to watch. And it, it, it's reflected, I think, in, in the popularity and the amount of attention that these documentaries are receiving. But I do have to wonder if some of it is... I mean, obviously, there's the schadenfreude uh, uh, element to it, deep, but is there... Deep, is there, meaningful schadenfreude effect. Yeah. But of, it, uh, I, of, I also this. feel like there's some sort of... And I, and I, I mean... I feel like I'm, I'm on the right side of this, but there's a lot of sort of uh, 
fuck you millennial kind of sentiment. And I mean, I'm on the right side of that in the sense that I don't believe that that, that people should be blamed for being defrauded. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of satisfaction taken at the, uh, the nature of, of the treatment that the, that the, um, ticket buying public received. I, it kind of, um, would so, fall short of, of actually doing that, but go ahead. Well, so let's take a back, uh, take a step back and, and sort of set up the scene here. Um, the, the fire festival, of course, for the uninitiated, for the lucky uninitiated few, um, was, uh, a, a project that was put together by, um, Billy McFarland, prior owner of, um, or CEO of a company called Magnesis, which was, um, for all intents and purposes, uh, uh, nothing but a shell company. Um, that basically provided you uh, a charge card which was underwritten by a different credit card company at a higher interest rate. So um, effectively, the only difference is uh, between the Magnesis card um, and the underlying credit card uh, were were the fact that it cost more. Um, Somehow, he managed to sell this complete fiction um, to to millennials, as you said, make a, a relatively uh, a compelling sum of money, according to um, some venture capitalists, I suppose. And then, of course, found himself on stage with um, the uh, king of hip-hop finance, none other than uh, Ja Rule. Um, now, you, you might have thought I was going to say Jay-Z there, but, but you see I didn't. Um, a, a worse rapper and, in fact, uh, a worse businessman, Ja Rule, um, helmed this operation. So you, you have this incredible sort of odd couple of Ja Rule who is, I suppose, dining out on a career that impressed some people. Um, and uh, He's sort of seen in the hip-hop world as a hack. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, yes. for the uninitiated, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who, you know, a lot of people know who Ja Rule is, um, and he did have that brilliant cameo on the uh, J-Lo, uh, the inescapable J-Lo track from, like, 2002. I'm Real. I'm Real. It's a good song. It is. And, I mean, so he had a couple of songs with... Um, uh, Put It On Me with Ashanti uh, was another good sort of summer hit. But really he was, you know, the sort of that, that lightweight, like, summer blockbuster um, that featured the, uh, you know, beautiful sort of songstress of, of, of the year. Um, and uh, he sort of provided the, the quasi-credibility factor. Well, he certainly didn't provide the credibility. He provided the quasi-hip-hop uh, sort of uh, element that, that um, you know, was so popular to those uh, frosted-tipped, visor-wearing <laughs> kids on MTV. Um, so, look, you know, I obviously don't have a ton of time for, for Ja Rule, the rapper, um, but do I ever have time for Ja Rule, the <laughs> businessman? And ja, and ja Rule, the... Um, uh, the, 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 uh, the Connoisseur of nothing? The kind of, <laughs> well, I was going to say the, the, the cipher of English language. Um, <laughs> Um, the least interesting man in the world. Um, <laughs> and he does come off as such a tool in that sense. It's, <laughs> well, you know. so, so these two guys, so these two guys pair up, right? And their 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 plan is to to put on this incredibly um, extravagant music festival. Now the only problems here um, are that neither of them have any fucking idea how to throw a music festival. Um, now they do enlist some outside support. Um, the likes of uh, uh, a few experts and consultants, um, you know, production teams, um, 
and they intend to throw this party in Exuma. Um, and you know a little bit more about Exuma than I do, I, but as far I, as I, I can I, tell, it's sort of outer orbit, right? Well, I can, t- I can tell you that, um, well, first of all, the original uh, goal was to buy an island in Exuma that formerly was owned by... Um, Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar. Uh, it was a landing strip, and I have actually spent a fair amount of time in Exuma, and I love it there. It's a great place. Um, but this was, the, the original idea was to buy this island that belonged to Pablo Escobar and throw the music festival there. Um, that got fairly deep into the, uh, um, you know, I mean, they got fairly deep into that before they had, before they realized they had to pull the plug on that particular idea. Um, their so first clue might have been, they, their first clue might have been that the, the island itself had no running water. Uh, well, um, who needs, there's water everywhere, Wyndham. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. It is beautiful. Um, but it was, uh, so that, you know, that, you know, going into it, that they had this pipe dream of, of having this uh, festival on an island that f- the numbers just didn't bear out. I mean, you could physically, you could barely fit as many people as they were talking about onto the island, much less the infrastructure to, you know, house and feed and, and um, you know, get rid of waste and all sorts, you know, all the issues that, that go part and parcel with um, hosting a, a large scale outdoor event. Um, you but mean going it's, backward? It's, it's, it's okay. They thought of this music festival um, as a, uh, an incredibly lucrative opportunity um, that wouldn't actually require having a music festival. Like, well, it, you know, the little things like where do people shit, where do they sleep, um, what do they eat, where do they eat it, um, that kind of stuff was sort of secondary to marketing. And the one thing I do want to ask, because um, you know, this is our Ask a Millennial uh, segment. Uh, the fire festival came to my attention in real time when it was happening, when it was turning into a fucking disaster, maybe, maybe a day or two before when it was, when people were, you know, sort of, uh, forewarning, uh, that it, or, or reporting that it might be a disaster. Um, did you know about, uh, Magnesis or, uh, fire festival prior to them happening? Or did you learn about all this? you know, in the same time frame that I did. I was unaware of Magnesis as a, um, uh, like, as a, as a company um, until after the fact. I, I'd sort of, you know, it was something that, like, I'd read blurbs about in things like Fast Company or... or but it didn't um, cross your crunch. radar. Yeah, I mean, sort of very peripherally. And I remember thinking, wow, this is like uh, Amex but shittier. Um, and you know, it was somehow you merging the two words magnum and penis didn't, you know, (laughs) wasn't your first tip off. Yes, exactly. Um, that, uh, that the, the really, um, potent brains behind that operation. Um, now I didn't actually make any connection between, uh, between Magnesis and, and fire festival. However, I was asked, um, if, uh, if I wanted to go and, um, I, we, so, uh, are you going to name names? Or are you I am not going to name names. I will spare them um, that indignity. Uh, I think the, the humiliation um, of being pulled off a plane in Miami and spending the weekend there um, because there was no actual destination um, was, uh, was, was probably enough. Um, well, and then, of course, if, if it wasn't enough, there were two documentaries made about it. So, um, But... Uh, but yeah, we, I had a couple of friends who um, who were planning to go to this, and they sort of showed me the lineup, and and um, then 
presented this to me as a once in a lifetime opportunity to, um, you know, go to a deserted beach somewhere, uh, strike one, um, to see Blink-182 and Major Lazer, uh, let's say half a strike, um, both bands I like, but not necessarily bands I want to go see in the Bahamas. It's something that, you know, looks to recreate, like, MTV Spring Break circa 1997. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, that it would only cost me uh, $6,000 to do this. Six three. Oh, Jesus. Um, so the tickets themselves at that point were, were a little bit um, more expensive. This was pretty close, to, uh, pretty close to the festival, and I think at that point they were in... Um, full hyperinflationary um, discord whereby the ticket prices were climbing at astronomical rate um, on a pretty much daily basis because they were basically trying to figure out, well... How to pay for stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so, in any event, um, you know, this was uh, th- this was how it came across my radar. And then I remember you actually were the one who alerted me to the fact that this thing was, was sort of going into full meltdown. Um, oh, Yeah. And uh, you sent me, I think, a tweet uh, at, at one point, and then, and then, of course, you know, both of us hooked into this through the through the music press, and you got to just watch the most beautiful sort of cascading unraveling in in literally hour by hour um, as you know pictures started to emerge from the festival. Um, you know, it was pretty obvious that um, uh, that the Pitchfork and Stereo Gum writers were uh, were having a ball with this. We're reveling in yeah. it. Yeah. I think the national press really reveled in it, too. And, and it, it, you can't really blame them. It's one of those stories where, you know, there's a, you know, somebody, the, the degree of hubris and the, and the um, you know, the arrogance going fully fucking, going paid in full. Yes. You know what I mean? It's, so, there's so Billy McFarland, for, for anybody who hasn't seen, you know, the documentary again, is about as much of a fucking dope as you could possibly imagine. <laughs> this, like, is just sort of a, imagine a, a pink-tinged, um, drunk, uh, enth- you know, over-enthusiastic, um, Sort of, but but basically shitty salesman who refuses to answer any follow up questions that that require any amount of detail. Um, you know, this is not somebody who, when I first saw him, I thought, "Wow, he's a brilliant CEO. He's a brilliant salesman." I thought, "Wow, you know, this guy is a, is is a snake oil salesman, or you know, at best, um, at at worst, he's uh, uh, you know, he he's he's that and." basically fraudulent, a uh, yeah, a cheater, um, and a, a liar. Criminal. Um, yeah. and it turns out that, that he, you know, was a little bit of both. Um, All I think above. That, I think that, you know, really his downfall was, um, was one of the more sort of satisfying aspects of the documentary. I have to say though, um, I don't think, I mean, aside from his, his punishment, this is one of these situations where, Yes, he's an idiot. Yes, he lied to a lot of people. It is in some way kind of possible for me to imagine, like, the fact that he just didn't conceive of the, like, the ramifications of his actions. At the same time, um, the law doesn't, like, state that you have to perceive of all of the different ramifications of your actions. You're still not allowed to commit fraud. Yeah, it's called narcissism, and the other part of it's called fraud. Yeah, lying, <laughs> right? And like, you can't you can't say you're selling somebody something and not sell it to them. 
And then there is that great, I mean, there is the great moment when uh, they're trying to figure out how to pull the plug or, you know, not pull the plug. And, of course, they don't, famously don't pull the plug. So people show up for this non-festival festival after uh, the bands have already withdrawn, after... Uh, they realize that they don't have the infrastructure to deal with these people. They somehow suck it up and just don't bother telling the people who are arriving that there is no there there. The, and, the idea was that it would just somehow miraculously come together in the closing moments. And and this is where this is where I think that there's a there's a hubris that um, that you alluded to earlier, which is I think sort of consistent with certain aspects of. Um, "Quote unquote startup culture," um, the idea that these visionary CEOs and leaders can basically just tell a group of people, you know, the, the all the all time like the the takeaway line from this was, "We're a solutions oriented team, not a problems oriented team." <laughs> Fuck you, yeah. man! I'm literally setting up refugee tents outside right now. Like we can't invite people here in good conscience. They might die. The, 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 yeah, and then, you know, I mean, to, to put a sort of fine point on that, I have been, not only have I spent time in Exuma, but I have um, had the regrettable occasion to take a friend to the hospital in Exuma. And I all I can think of, music festival, you know, you get these music festivals and, you know, there's a lot of people who do a lot of drugs and, and they're especially because they were charter flown in, so they probably... Um, you know, it, it was probably a little easier, uh, but there, you know, there's usually a lot of people who require medical attention at these things. If they go, even if they go perfectly uh, right, um, that's an island that has absolutely no capacity for that. Um, you know, like I said, having been a veteran of uh, the hospital in Exuma, it is it, it it's not. You know, it, it couldn't handle five people requiring yeah. medical attention at one time from that festival. And usually those festivals uh, ring up a few, a few more casualties. Um, yeah. And that's, a, you know, not literally, but yeah. And, um, you know, I, also there's not a lot of restaurants, bars, hotels on the Island. I mean, it's, um, you know, there was a four seasons, uh, which is now a sandals resort, but the four seasons tried and failed in Exuma. Um, they don't have, um, they just don't, you know, it's not an island that's equipped to, to hold a ton of people. So I think the notion, I mean, that you rightly, you know, point to here, which is just the, the wild irresponsibility of this, um, you know, the, the, the question that, that, um, that I found myself asking was, you know, how responsible are the second order, um, you know, or is, is the team around it? Because it seems to me that there were, you know, certainly... Billy McFarland did a, a, a lot of damage by telling his team that, that he was raising um, in the tens of millions of dollars. I believe the, the end total was something like $27.5 million that he'd claimed to have raised, when in point of fact he'd managed to raise something like four. And um, spent <laughs> three, it looks like. Well in excess of that, yes. Um, but, you know, the, the problem was that, you know, a lot of these guys were basically working on a shoestring and getting paid week to week, um, reportedly in cash in some circumstances. Um, it's not really clear where... where not the locals. Yeah, where the money was coming from. Exactly. Um, that is uh, not what we call preferred stock in the Fired Festival. Um, that is uh, that is the shit under the stick stock. Um, yeah, the, the 
locals who were building the festival, of course, didn't get paid at all. Um, and it doesn't sound like, frankly, anybody on his team did either. Um, so, I mean, I guess the, the question, though, is, you know, there were a handful of people who basically gracefully bowed out and said, look, we, you know, we can't in good faith load something up on your website that says you're going to, you know, that you have a festival and in 24 hours, you guys, you don't. Um, and so, you know, 20 minutes later, the producer of, of the festival got back to him and said, cool, can you send the logon credentials to um, this subsequent brand and marketing <laughs> team, um, you know, who, who have uh, agreed who to take us this. on as clients? Yeah, who can handle this magnificent success. Um, you know, so there were, I think, multiple opportunities for, um, for, for other people to maybe bow out. But I think ultimately it, it really does boil down to um, a sort of almost cultish phenomenon whereby, like, the diffusion of responsibility is a really powerful force. Um, if somebody who claims to be in a position of leadership is telling me that this is going to work out, this is going to work out, you know, ultimately I, I think people are typically kind of inclined to, to agree with that. It's so but rare that you are so bald-faced lied to like this in life. Yeah. I um, mean, unless you're on the Theranos board. Um, you know, yeah. you're, you're, <laughs> there are very few times when somebody How wasn't says, he on the Theranos board, <laughs> by the way? You know, it's somebody who sells you a house and was like, there's the house. And you're like, I don't see a house. And you're like, well, there it is. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of really interesting stuff. I mean, I think uh, one of the uh, one of the funnier, I guess, is a, I mean, funny from a from a um, peculiarity standpoint or a an unfortunate kind of standpoint was there's a story that ran the last couple of days where um, Marianne Roll, the woman who owned the restaurant, who wound up feeding people uh, as if it were a refugee camp. So they didn't um, die, you mean. Which it was. <laughs> uh, she, you know, she said in the in the film, she she spent $50,000 or lost $50,000 of her own money. And a Kickstarter campaign started, and, and she uh, they raised somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, well, I think it's north of 150000 at this point, which is uh, really great. But I also, uh, I know that the documentarian uh, put money in um, some of the other... Uh, J- Fuck Jerry Marketing, I think, put money in, and Ja Rule tweeted a, uh, an apology to her. So um, she should take that apology and cash it in and uh, see how many cheese sandwiches she can make with that. The train is coming at 6.05 And I'll be getting on it to take a long ride Back to an apartment so empty inside Oh, with loneliness the only friend that's waiting I am curious, is there any, you know, sort of ripple effect through destination festivals or, or is there any, because I just saw today too, there was another festival um, that had a, uh, a fairly significant level of fraud attached to it. It was a, a festival up in Vermont that I believe never happened as well. Um, that looked like it had some fairly major backers. Is this, is, are, are people thinking that it's uh, somehow easy 
to start a festival, uh, create a successful festival, um, or just a way to make money quickly uh, by announcing a festival. I, I don't really. And is it and is it hurting it's, successful it's very, ones? <laughs> it's very unclear. It's very unclear to me how anybody would think that a music festival would be a successful fraud, um, given that it's very success as even a, a fictitious sort of you know empty vessel um, is dependent upon its publicity. Typically. Uh, frauds are more successful the quieter they are. <laughs> um, and, uh, or the when, more embarrassed you are to admit that you were involved in it. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I think that um, when you are literally shooting promo reel, uh, you know, for, for several days down in the islands, um, I mean, that, that really boils... That is sort of at the heart of, of where I think this is, uh, this is, you know, cluelessness rather than um, uh, complete... Um, Malice, malice. Yeah, I, I think. But but to answer your question, um, no, I think that most sensible people realize that throwing a music festival is one of the hardest fucking things on earth, and want nothing to do with it. Um, you know, you, you see, it's interesting because I mean, there is such a huge um, jumping off point between um, sort of the the more local, almost DIY festivals. I'm thinking of things like the Brooklyn Music Festival. Um, which is uh, not hugely well known, but generally features sort of uh, Americana t- style acts and, and um, sort of blues, bluegrass, or something like Northside, which has now gained a fair amount of um, corporate sponsorship and uh, runs sort of you know simultaneous lecture series, music, and, and film. Um, you know, I think that typically um, the 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 gulf between even those two levels so something that really is sort of still managed basically on a pro bono basis um, and something that becomes fully professionalized um, you know is is pretty substantial and and the quality is evident immediately um, even if you can lock up uh, access to venues and you know can basically pass all of the the regulatory hurdles that you have um, and then get yourself insured which is its own nightmare. Um, and this truly is one of my biggest questions about this thing, which is who the fuck, if anybody, insured this festival? And, and my sense is no one did, and that was part of the appeal of, of Exuma. Um, but yeah, I do think that they have a, a I would imagine they have a less um, stringent uh, <laughs> regulatory process than, than they do. Based, I mean, on, based on our experience with the customs uh, uh Yes. Um, well, that was a funny thing, too, is that, you know, I mean, I've spent time in that airport, and, you know, that airport has got, like, I mean, it looked pretty big when it was full of, you know, you know 80 people, but uh, I, I don't remember it having more than, like, 20 seats in it, and it's literally indoor-outdoor. I mean, you can walk across the street to the bar and walk back in with the drink that you just bought, Um so it's not exactly like you know. That is a fact, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, that has been that tested. Is well researched. That is the most well researched uh, piece of information you'll get on this podcast. Um, but I do think uh, you know it just. It, I don't know. It. It. it I, I marvel at it. And I, then again, I. I. The one other thing I wanted to bring up, and I think you can speak to this a lot better than I can, given um, you know your age and proximity to to the to those folks. Uh, you know, it was, you know, there was this, um, there was this desire in, in real time to contain this story. And it took the Instagram 
post of one cheese sandwich to basically launch a thousand stories about the failure of this thing. I mean, obviously it would have come out, but it was so much more well documented and and um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it, visceral because of of the type of people that were going and the fact that they document everything. Yes, I think that that's absolutely right. Um, you know, I I don't have particularly sophisticated sort of thoughts about this um, uh, put, put together, but I would say, you know, I, I think that a big part of the allure of a festival like um, Fire uh, Fest is is basically, you know, the attraction to the, the sort of um, appearance of exclusivity uh, mm-hmm. and the idea that you're basically paying for something that's sort of, that's elite, that's privileged, that only you got an invitation to. Um, you know, despite the fact that you might be paying an arm and a leg, um, and despite the fact that uh, it doesn't actually exist, um, you know, you you <laughs> nevertheless, yeah. yeah, you you have um, uh, you have this sort of combined fear of being left out, desire to carefully curate your own image, which is basically um, something that you've you've uh, you know carefully tended to um, and sort of cultivated on online. Um, and then ultimately, uh, you, you know, ultimately you, you, you end up sort of going for something like this hook, line, and sinker. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of understandable. Uh, I think that the, the lesson here for most people is that if it, you know, if it, if it seems too good to be true, um, there's, a, there's a very good reason probably to think that it might be. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not... To, to get back to your original question, um, you know, I think that there are certain aspects of millennial culture that certainly fueled the sort of growth against all odds um, of something, of, of a festival like this. It, it, it wouldn't necessarily have been allowed to um, happen with a more cynical crowd that wasn't a little bit more dependent upon, um, you know, it, it, the various sort of institutions of... of internet governance to, to vet um, to vet things for them. Because there is this sort of perception as well that, well, if enough people are involved, um, surely this can't be a total fraud. Uh, yeah. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, ask Bernie Madoff. Ask Elizabeth Holmes. It's, yeah, uh, people get hosed. The bigger the lie. I'm I, always brought I, back to that, I think you that's know, right. that uh, episode back in the 90s when the guy who lived, you know, essentially lived in his mom's basement bought the Islanders. Um, just by saying I'm buying the Islanders, and um, then you and know, like forging cool. a bunch of yeah, it was it's a very I mean, a just pre-internet, just just around the time. But I, that's the thing. I guess I, one of the things I found interesting was watching. Um, well, one of the things I found f- really entertaining was the Lord of the Flies element. Once everybody got there and they realized that there wasn't much in terms of. Uh, um, supplies and so that you know everybody sort of set out to, to forge their own uh, uh, little uh, cache of, of whatever was there to be had pillows and mattresses and tents and whatever. Just an experiment um, in self government. Yeah, exactly. Was, uh, was the way to think about it. Yeah, I was waiting for Piggy to walk on. Um, but I did, you know, I, I also yeah, was shocked. trying to escape on his four-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was shocked that, you know, people that are so savvy, because um, it, it was a fairly, you know, it seemed like a, a relatively bright crowd, um, 
I'll live to regret that comment. But um, it, <laughs> it was um, that could be so. You know, and they, this, this seems like a very social media, internet savvy group of people who were completely duped by pictures. Yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes what's in the pictures is fake. Yeah. But it, it just so. seemed to me that, that it would be a hard group to fool, but maybe I'm, I'm obviously... Uh, well, or it's Marlon a knows better than I do. group of people who are willfully fooled by that shit all the time. <laughs> That's true, too. I mean, yeah, there is a sort of, uh, you know, illusion is reality, um, as long as you can get enough people to, to, to agree on it. And, um, you know, I think that, that this there is a much deeper way of framing that question as to sort of truly understanding what the nature of reality is... Um, the answer is, in Fire Festival's case, uh, it, it, it is not. Um, and, you know, they're, they're really, it was the same couple of promo photos that were shown over and over and over again. Why people weren't asking more questions about this, you know? Well, I, I noticed, too, that I, I believe, uh, I'm correct in saying this, that the, the housing was, was illustrated Yes, um, that's always a good sign. <laughs> do yeah, not, do not go to, like, foreign lands uh, on the promise of a house that is shown to you in drawing form. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a, a safe bet. Anyway, um, do you want to take a quick break and come back? Yep, sounds good. Okay, good. Podcast. Uh, we are going to end this podcast where we end every podcast, which is uh, with a little something we call "What are you listening to?" And I usually surprise Christian with this uh, question. Christian, what are you listening to? Oh shit! Um, w- well, uh, in anticipation. Of, well, okay, I've got two things. Um, I go from zero to two. Uh, mm. Never, never just one. But um, so I have dug in um, and I'm I'm pretty excited uh, currently about the new True Detective series um, which is uh, I think a big step in the right direction back towards season one Um, Mahershala Ali stars uh, in this uh, this series and and really does an outstanding job um, playing a a detective trying to solve um, the sort of uh, suspected abduction murder of, of two young children in 19 well in in arkansas um it it is of course like the original true detective set across three different time periods so 1980 1990 and 2005 um and you know he's just such a wonderfully um expressive actor yeah with uh, despite the fact i you know he's um so the analogy that I'll use is, you know, some drummers are always described as sort of playing, you know, really well in the pocket. Um, they're just they're tight and and very sort of reserved, um, rather than uh, rather than these sort of big flailing Keith Moon types. And I think that that sort of um, is is re- reflected in his acting very much. Like it is it is a very sort of uh, constrained, sort of self contained um, 
performance. But it, but nevertheless, like you you really do experience um, the full uh, full range of emotions with with his characters, um, and it's just it's such a wonderful thing to watch. I mean, it really is like a sort of a stirring performance. So um, I definitely recommend that. You know, anybody who is who is turned off by season two, um, which was frankly just bad, despite the fact that Colin yeah. Farrell's wonderful. Um, it was just a you know it really does it answers the question that I had sort of always had, which is well. Surely, screenwriting must be easy because when you put a lot of people like this together, um, you know, who are very good stars, uh, you you always have wonderful television. Well, folks, it isn't easy, um, and you can fuck it up. Uh, so this is, you know, th- that was really sort of a testament to the fact that if you if you don't really know where you're going with a show, um, you won't get there. Yeah, I appreciate uh, took you to True Detective Part Two to realize that my job is not easy. Um, but I, uh, um, is there, is that, is there something? Well, so the other, yeah, the only other, um, the other submission I would make is that I've in in anticipation, eager anticipation of, um, the new Pup album, which is coming out in April. Um, I've been, uh, digging back into their self-titled album, Pup from 2014 and um, The Dream is Over from 2016. I really like those guys. They've got like a fun sort Good of stuff. just energetic, uh, raucous punk vibe. Yeah, and, and it's, um, you know, The Dream is Over is a, is a really uh, killer, slightly more musical and like, and um, uh, slightly, you know, evolved to a higher level, let's say, than, than their um, first album. Pup, um, and they've they've had a couple of years to work, so um, I'm uh, I'm very hopeful for for what's in store. Is there a release date or a time frame? April fourteenth, I think. Nice. If that is okay. in fact a, uh, a day. Uh, April nineteenth, I think. April nineteenth. Okay. All right. Well, I myself um, have been actually listening to an album a fair amount on heavy rotation, which is uh, the new Deer Hunter record. Um, uh, which I really was drawn in by the single um, uh, Death in Midsummer. I find that to be a, a really, you know, uh, interesting pa- you know, sort of pastoral folk, but uh, also just at the heart of it, like a really good pop tune. Um, it, the album's called Why Hasn't Everything Disappeared Already? Sorry. And um, it came out this week, and um, I highly recommend it. It's got the same, you know, the usual kind of uh, deer hunter, you know, change of pace. It's got a few really good pop songs, some good, you know, rockin' tunes, and then, you know, some experimental stuff. There's a, a very Tubeway Army instrumental uh, track uh, on, I think it's track two or three. Um, it just sounds absolutely like a, uh, a Gary Newman and Two Way Army uh, outtake from 1980, and I don't know. It I strongly recommend it. More more good stuff from a band that's been particularly consistent over the past, you know, now going on 15 years. Was that Greenpoint so, Gothic that you were talking about? Yes, it was. Yeah, that's a great tune. Yeah, I really like the whole album, kind of start to finish. I mean, I could probably do without uh, the. Uh, the digitized voice track, but otherwise, you know, there's Plains is a great song. Uh, Death in Midsummer, like I said, is was a great tease because it really drew me into the album. And then um, I watched uh, a um, a movie, an HBO film called Brexit last night, uh, which I was shocked uh, was was worth watching. Um, it's Benedict Cumberbatch 
um, playing the chief strategist behind Brexit. And it's a fairly concise, you know, hour and 45 minute or so um, uh, run up to and um, you know, obviously uh, incorporates the referendum itself and um, just, you know, kind of in the same way that uh, um, something like Primary Colors captured the spirit of the time uh, in terms of its politics. I think Brexit, for a movie that's actually called Brexit, um, is remarkably good and worth watching. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this. You you switched me on to it. I had um, not actually heard of it and was even more puzzled uh, to, to learn that um, Benedict Cumberbatch plays Dominic Cummings. Um, and, yeah, these are all real people's names, which is even more astonishing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Dominic Cummings is um, the... He was Michael Gove's um, sort of lead campaigner and then subsequently the, the campaign director, is the campaign director for the... Um, you know, for the Leave uh, campaign, which are the, the group of people in, in England who are um, who voted basically to, to leave the European Union. Um, so it is a it's a sort of it's a little bit inside baseball in that respect, I suspect. Um, but uh, but I think you know it's 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 asking well, it's it's unusual I think to find something that's sort of made in real time for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, I mean, all the president's men is sort of the um, you know the quintessential version of that where it came two years on the heels of, of Watergate. But um, it, it is something that was Byzantine and confusing enough to most people, not to mention the fact that we just got the real broad strokes version of, of uh, Brexit in the news. You know, can't happen, can't happen, can't happen, did happen. Um, where, else, that it, where else did this happen recently? I know, I know. Well, it did, again, I mean, it, it, the nice it thing happened is in England first. I mean, that it was the did, thing. It was June yeah, it was uh, June twenty, June twenty third. Um, but the thing that I found good about this is that I, I think it was a British production, and if it were an American production with English people in it, it would have landed way harder on the on the uh, you know look at. Isn't this, does this sound familiar? Um, you know, it, it didn't. I mean, it does hit those pretty hard, but it's not into- insufferable in that way. Right. It's not. It. It isn't super self-consciously determined to make this about the American experience of a similar yeah. phenomenon. Um, exactly. Well, I mean, I think that, that in many respects it's, it's uh, you know, what we're learning about about populism in real time is that it's it's happening everywhere, whether it's Bolsonaro being elected mm-hmm. in Brazil or, or um, you know, Trump in the United States or... Uh, or Brexit in the UK, there's a there's a very um, strong and consistent push by people who feel like they've been disadvantaged by globalization, and, and this is a good sort of uh, good sort of dramatic installment in, in mm-hmm. telling that story. I think so. I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to to check it out. Thanks check for bringing it to my attention. Thank you, and um, thank you for joining us today. We will uh, let's do this again very soon. Actually, coming up, we've got uh, they announced the uh, Oscar nominations. And we are going to do an Oscars, uh, a tribute to the Oscars. Uh, Christian can explain a little better than I. No, it's pretty uh, much just a tribute to the Oscars. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we're um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna uh, put together an episode with our, our reviews, um, much as we did last year of uh, of some of our favorite picks and the hottest, um, you know, from the from the sort of hottest releases this year, and you know what we think um, what we think should happen, what we think will happen. 
um, and uh, and why and what, so what we think shouldn't us. have happened. So yeah, that's uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Cool. I will uh, talk to you later. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.